whether it's in you know under-resourced parts of the U.S. or particularly in under-resourced countries, kids are not all getting access to virtual learning, and that's just making things worse. Welcome back to Read, the research, education, and advocacy podcast. In this series, prominent researchers, thought leaders, and educators will share their work insights and expertise about current research and best practices in education and child development. Read is produced by the Windward Institute. I'm Danielle Scarano, the Windward Institute's Research and Development Director and your host of the Read Podcast. Here it is, readers, the follow-up episode with Dr. Ken Pugh. I hope you all enjoyed listening to my conversation with Dr. Pugh about the literacy crisis and the development of the reading brain. Dr. Pugh explained certain characteristics of struggling readers, notably students with dyslexia, I invite you to check out the read bookmarks from last episode and check out all of the Windward Institute's resources on Dyslexia Awareness Month. And surprise, I of course needed to learn more from Dr. Pugh. In this episode, we discuss the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic on literacy around the world. This is an important episode, not only for our current time, but perhaps for years to come. Now on to the interview. Hello, Dr. Pugh. Thank you for being on the Read podcast again. Hi, Danielle. How, how are you doing? How are you holding up during this challenging COVID time? Well, I have to say it's been an interesting six months as we have gone back to school. I'm still remote and working for the Windward Institute. Um, how are you holding up during the pandemic? Well, we're doing, you know, we're doing pretty well. We had uh, in Connecticut, um, our laboratory is in New Haven. Uh, we're affiliated with Yale University at Haskins. And so we've been, we had gone through each of the phases, uh, first the complete shutdown, and now we're in a slow reopening phase, but we're still encouraging people to work at home in order to be safe. And we haven't yet begun to really collect too much of our testing and research data, except for things that we can do online. But, you know, we're holding up and and keeping busy and doing lots or maybe too many Zoom meetings. Well, it's funny that you say that because I know that research has slowed down significantly during the pandemic, but I know you and Haskins Laboratories and the Haskins Global Literacy Hub have been extremely busy. And I do want to ask you about the work of the Haskins Global Literacy Hub in this interview. As I start the interviews with guests, I like to sort of set the stage a little bit. I'm actually recording in my living room right now. So where are you in in the world as we speak? And you know what? Actually, it's funny. It's like, where in the world is Ken Pugh? So where are you in the world? So right now I'm in my uh, in at, at Haskins Labs in my office. I've been coming in a few days a week just to make sure that we're transitioning safely and that you know we're we're following all the relevant protocols when we have staff coming into work. So I'm sitting in my office. I have my mask with me and my and my uh, and the various soaps and we have a thermometer that sits out in the hallway and we're doing everything we can to as as I was saying to be safe. So I'm at my lab in New Haven. Uh, after this meeting, I'll be heading home to uh, where we live in Connecticut, where I will go and ride my bicycle to get some exercise. Well, I'm glad you're staying safe and active. You know, I do really appreciate all the work that you've been doing during the COVID nineteen pandemic and. Particularly, actually, I was re-listening to the episode that we recorded when you were at Windward, and we Mm -hmm. talked a lot about the literacy crisis around the world. So as we sit here six months after the pandemic has really hit around the world, how has COVID-19 exacerbated or illuminated the literacy crisis around the world? 
Well, you know, it, it, it goes without saying that if literacy is, is, was and has been a global challenge, even a global crisis for a very long time, it only got worse under these circumstances. For example, in, in the U.S., I was reading some, some recent reports out of the, at, you know, the Department of Ed and the NIH where, where we get our, the funding for our research. And they're, they're saying that basically you know, 15 million K through three students missed over 25% of classroom instruction in the 2020 school year. And we, we already know that in, even in, you know, the relatively privileged areas, that when kids are in the first stages of learning to read, when they're sort of transitioning from being language experts in the auditory mode to becoming readers, this is a point at which there's just a tremendous amount of demand on, you know, relearning, reorganizing. Those of us who study the brain can see this very clearly in the way the brain is reorganizing language systems in order to to support literacy. And it's a very critical time. And it's actually kind of a fragile time because when, you know, if kids don't get persistent, consistent instruction, it's pretty easy to lose some of the basic information that you're that that we're trying to get to kids. And even in a normal year, you know, it's been occasionally estimated that children in these early grades can lose, you know, up to 30% of the content that they've learned in the classroom just from the summer slide with, you know, the normal summer vacation slide. Of course, the COVID situation made that worse, increased from three months on average to six months. And at a point for children in, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, they were immersed in, in literacy instruction at a, usually in most school districts at a fairly critical point when everything shut down. So it's just, it was obvious that it would exacerbate the challenges of literacy. And of course, one thing to keep in mind is that this will be a challenge for all kids, but for those children who struggle with reading and, and literate language, this is even worse. Uh, so for children with learning disabilities, the challenge of this shutdown is even worse. Yeah, that's a good point that you make about the challenge with students with learning disabilities, with dyslexia. I know it is October, is Dyslexia Awareness Month. What factors may have exacerbated these disparities. And I'm thinking even just overall looking at equity and access for kids with learning disabilities, for kids who are in under-resources environments, Where what factors have really started to exacerbate these disparities across the United States and even the world? Just to put, uh, put a little context on this, we, we are involved in a number of projects right now through the Heskins Global Literacy Hub that are dealing directly with the COVID crisis, and I can talk about them in, in a bit more detail, you know, in, in, in the coming minutes. But the, the sort of the broad picture is that we are actually trying to mitigate the anticipated effects of the COVID crisis by providing information wherever we can to families, to schools, to educators, et cetera. What exacerbates the, the situation in under-resourced communities is the lack of access. So, you know, for online schools during the spring and now extending for many school districts in the fall, this requires good internet. It requires having devices at home that families can use. And so I'm. you, you can imagine that if children are coming from under-resourced environments, that they might be put at an even greater disadvantage by virtue of the fact that they may not have the same access to virtual education. And now 
we're involved in, in the development of some education technology programs to support uh, literacy during COVID in South America. We're, we're right now involved with a group in, in Brazil, in Argentina, in Colombia, and in Panama. And in those areas, especially in remote rural areas, all of these, you know, the access is, is, is the key problem. And so whether it's in, you know, under-resourced parts of the U.S., or particularly in under-resourced countries, kids are not all getting access to virtual learning. And, you know, in, in the way that I've been saying since we started this conversation, that's just making things worse. That's an interesting point. And I do want to talk a little bit more about ed tech, especially, you know, I do want to ask you a little bit more about Game as well. Sure. For kids, particularly kids with learning disabilities, I mean, all kids really have been in some form, whether it's in person, hybrid models, fully remote throughout the past six months. And you talked about 30% of learning loss could occur over the summer. You know, I know that you and colleagues, Dr. Haft, for example, are doing some work on the COVID slide. Well, Dr. Heft, Fumiko Heft and I are, are in the throes right now of, of a National Science Foundation grant, an NSF project in which we were, we're using this education technology, in this case, a program called GraphoLearn, which teaches basic decoding skills and reinforces what children would have been learning in, you know, in evidence-based classrooms from uh, learning grapheme-phoneme relations and extending those upward to, to the word. And in the middle of this uh, study, right now, we're beginning to, uh, we're acquiring the data that you're, you're alluding to. How, how much can any, so, any sorts of, you know, technology help to uh, mitigate the expected losses. So we, are, we don't have any answers yet because we're in the middle of this study, but we're very much trying to address that. And at the level of the other part of your question, with regard to the school data, you know, there is tremendous variability in what schools were able to do in March, April, May, and June. It varied from school district to school district and in some cases from class to class how much formal instruction people were able to get or not get, how much support for parents was available or not. And now it will be a while before we have at the national level an ability to assess how bad this really was and how much the programs that were able to be done, whether they're in-class instruction virtual, you know, virtual learning or the contributions of education technology and other things, or just simply professional development for teachers and information for families. It'll be a while before we're going to know how profound or, or how powerfully these, these tools, you know, help to, to mitigate the, the worst case scenario. In any event, what we know for sure is that when kids are, and even in a normal year, when kids come into the literacy environment, when young kids are learning to read in the classroom, there's already tremendous, what we call individual differences that, you know, between from child to child to child in how ready they are for, you know, conventional curriculum. Those individual differences are now going to be exacerbated. They're going to be much even stronger because some kids got some instruction, some kids didn't. And that is going to make 
the process of getting kids back into mainstream learning uh, in the classroom, that's going to raise challenges that will have to be addressed as well. You know, so we don't know the full extent of, of the losses that are likely and how varied those losses will be, but they will be profound and they will be varied. And the question is, can we uh, get useful information now on how to minimize or mitigate these uh, negative consequences? Those are good points. And particularly, you mentioned work with GrapheLearn. Um, you've also talked about ed tech in South America. You and the Haskins Global Literacy Hub have been very active over the past six months. I mean, I've been lucky to have a little bit of an insider view of it, but just in general, I mean, you've pushed out a lot of resources. You are engaging a lot of different research. So tell me more about the work that you and the Haskins Global Literacy Hub have been committed to over the past several months. Sure. And let me begin by noting that the our partnership with Windward has been a major benefit to the development of some of these COVID-related projects. We're grateful for our partnerships there and also with our colleagues at the AIM Academy in Philadelphia and with colleagues at, the, uh, at various other schools as well. Uh, so we've been able to work in partnership with Windward, AIM, and a variety of other educational experts to try to attack the expected reading slide by hook or by crook, by every means we could figure out. Uh, a, a quick summary of things we've done is, first of all, I've already alluded to this, but Dr. Fumiko Heft and I wrote a COVID grant specifically at the National Science Foundation at the NSF, where in which we uh, proposed and are now doing a study across the country. And by the way, we're still recruiting children and families into this study. So we would love to let people know about it on our uh, Global Literacy uh, website. But what we did is we were able to develop, use this educational technology program, GraphoLearn or GraphoGame, and children were asked to play 12 weeks to, to put in a roughly 20 to 30 minutes a day with parental supervision, often with teacher involvement before the summer uh, started, to reinforce the kinds of skills they were getting in early literacy, uh, to do this on a regular basis. And then, uh, thanks to colleagues who have been able to put reading assessments online, we are able to assess reading scores before they begin the 12 weeks, halfway through, at the end of the training, and six months follow-up. And of course, we don't have results yet, but we'll come back on to the podcast uh, when we do, yeah. I, I promise. Um, but what we are able to do is to see whether this intensive, systematic reinforcement, reinforcing of the basic reading skills can, as I, as, we, as I keep repeating, mitigate the expected losses, and especially for kids who are at risk either due to poverty or, or to learning disabilities. So basically, that's been a major focus. At the same time, though, we realize that in any research study, which involves lots of controls and lots of data collection and the rest of it, we can only hope to do, you know, a few thousand children, and we are, we're still um, pursuing that, who could be part of this actual data collection. And yet it occurred to um, all of us in the global hub, what about millions of other kids? Can we do anything to be helpful with regard to ed tech? So on that front, we were able to get via some, some philanthropy and some support from the GraphoGame group, we were able to make this ed tech program available for free online for uh, throughout the United States 
and then subsequently in Spanish in Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and Panama, and this is extending as we speak, to make this available so that kids could play this this reading game, this reading reinforcer, uh, even if they're not part of any specific study, which the goal there is to try to get as many children in the U.S. as, as we can tell about this to, to be doing things that are reinforcing basic literacy. So both on the research part and on just making this available uh, for free to the, to the general public in the U.S. and other countries, a big push was education technology, as, as I've been saying and as you alluded to earlier. There were several other things that we thought were very important, and uh, we were very fortunate to have tremendous group of researchers and educators working together in the hub, people from many fields and from many countries uh, that came together to tackle three other goals during COVID. One is the development of webinars that we've been conducting or putting out um, since the COVID began where we either have researchers or educators or ideally both together talking to families, talking to teachers, talking to educators about what kids need and how they might be able to be helpful. So that was one area that the hub thought. And these same webinars were developed in South America, in Spanish, of course. Uh, and we've been, our colleague Magdalena uh, Zavalia and her group at Interlexia have done an amazing job of getting the word out and getting this kind of information out in, in the global context. Uh, the second and very important project, and I, I, I want to make sure people know about this. So under the leadership of, of a few of our uh, senior members, including Marianne Wolf and Maureen Lovett and others, we worked for a number of months uh, and with a very talented young team, scouring the field to try to get everything we could that met the standards of evidence onto an, an online resource library. So if you go to the Global Hub, and of course this is free, we're, we're a nonprofit research institute. This is what we try to do to be useful to the public good. And what you do is you go onto this website and you have access to programs, approaches, the latest information, the latest methodologies around the country and frankly around the world on how to support literacy, especially during challenging times. So the so this focus on developing the online resource library was spurred on by the COVID crisis, but will continue after, pray God, pray God that we, we pass through this. Uh, this will continue to be a resource that we try to make available in the U.S. and around the world. And it's really easy to navigate. And, you know, it's there's just a tremendous amount of, of good information. The one thing I liked about that resource library was the breakdown by age, by di different aspects of reading and literacy. So that is definitely something that we're going to put on the resource page for the Read Podcast to make sure that everyone can access it. Wonderful, Danielle. And again, my gratitude goes to our colleagues at Winward and AIM and Southport School who just gave a tremendous amount of content, especially for uh, helping kids who struggle with learning disabilities. And so there's a real focus, as you mentioned, on reading at different ages. What do kids who are learning to read need versus kids who are in a stage where they should be reading to learn? 
What do those children need? What's the best evidence out there? How can we potentially mitigate the loss of access to the classroom? But there's always a, a big focus in the, glo- in the global hub and in our partnership with you guys on, on children who, who struggle with, uh, with reading disabilities. And we've tried to be uh, you know, cognizant of that. So to put it, you know, to sort of quickly summarize all of that, we've tried to, as, a, as an international group of scholars, researchers, educators, and policymakers, we've tried to do as much as we possibly can. I wish we could have done more, but this involves getting people access to, to uh, good educational content, getting information from the online resource library, uh, professional development and webinars. And this will continue because as I mentioned earlier, and this is something not to, not to take lightly, even if we are back in school in the, in the fall or into the winter, and that's highly variable, as you know, kids are going to be really struggling for a while. These losses, this failure to get critical learning at a point in that's where children can be somewhat fragile in how they're learning the reading system. There's a lot of work to be done in the next two years to pull those kids up. And so it doesn't end with the end of the COVID crisis. And importantly, and this is going to be a real priority for us, as I mentioned before, when kids come back, they're going to be more heterogeneous, more different from one another than they would have been otherwise. And we need a classroom that becomes a smart classroom where the teacher's knowledge and the use of technology can help get kids back to a point where they can benefit from the standard curriculum. So there's a lot of work to be done. The NIH is potentially going to be uh, funding this, the Department of Education uh, Institute for Educational Sciences. They're all getting the word out that there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of research to be done with researchers and educators working as teams, as we do with you guys, to to try to get kids back on track. Getting back on track is going to be, in many ways, more challenging than just what we've been able to do thus far. These are really good points that you make. And obviously, nothing beats a high-quality expert teacher teaching the code, teaching students how to read. But what you offer in terms of technology is this incredible opportunity for children to gain access to education. And so one of my final questions is, what do we need to do as a global society, whether it's institutionally, politically, technologically, what do we need to do to ensure that more children are accessing education in ways that they've never thought of before? Well, this is a great question, Danielle, and it's much on my mind because I'm part of a a work in progress right now sponsored by the UNESCO, and it's a global education assessment. There are about 40 of us from different fields who are writing this this sort of year and a half, two year report, focus on this very question, how, and it not just limited to literacy and numeracy, but to education writ large. There is a tremendous need for political will, for social justice, for an embrace of science-based approaches, bringing evidence-based approaches to things like literacy and numeracy into the wider public arena, fairness, equity, significant numbers of kids around the world. And this is something, again, I'm immersed in this right now, so you'll forgive me if I unpack it a little bit. I'm excited. Trying to educate children who are in conflict zones, who are migrants due to climate change, 
The climate crisis itself is putting a tremendous burden on education systems, both in terms of just resources and forced migration. Conflict on top of that is, 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 is producing an unprecedented set of challenges to the classroom globally. And, and ultimately, the, you know, with the climate crisis, with other challenges, this is a time where we really need to step back and create a political will to prioritize education. On the other side of the coin, the good thing is that we know more about how people learn. One of the reasons someone like me, who's more of a researcher, is co-chair on this report is because we are really trying to see just what research and science can tell us an understanding of the human learner and the brain can tell us about how to shape the classroom going 20 or 30 years into the future. This is a time of tremendous discovery. Also, the role of technology and AI to increase access to resources and information is an unprecedented time. So we're sitting poised with tremendous risk from climate crisis and other factors and political issues. And we are also sitting at a time with tremendous discoveries in the learning sciences, in the neurosciences, in AI and other fields, and in education theory. And so what we we will be continuing to try to find our way to the to the good side of this equation if we are also willing to have a political voice and, and to recognize one thing. There's a wonderful researcher from Portugal, Jose Marais, who writes eloquently on how literacy itself is social justice. Without literacy, you have no social justice. You have no access. And so there's just a tremendous need right now to navigate the risks and benefit from the opportunities. And it will require that we not only understand the typically developing children and their challenges, but especially the kids we work with and that you guys work with uh, who need often need more in order to be able to thrive in in the educational environment. So tremendous amount of work to be done. The COVID crisis doesn't make it any darned easier, but it is a time of unprecedented opportunity and there is a real need for political will. As you keep talking, I wish that our conversation could extend throughout the day, like I said in the last interview. My last question was to ask more about what you see the future holding for the Haskins Global Literacy Hub or maybe your passion projects. But I, I think I'm going to shift a little bit. Our last conversation was about nine months ago. So if we were to go to, and, I, and you did offer that you're going to speak to me again. So I appreciate a follow-up interview and maybe in another nine months to a year. <laughs> if you were to look ahead a year to a next interview with me, what type of information would you be hoping to share? Or, or maybe what insights would you be hoping to gain if you had this magic eight ball into the research or the, the world of, of literacy and education for children? What, what is your hope over the next year? That's a great question, Danielle. So the, the rationale for the Haskins Global Literacy Hub and our partnership with Windward AIM and with other educational institutions is to really bring research to the classroom and the classroom to research in synergistic and innovative ways. What I'd like to see on the on the COVID side, on the global literacy side, are some of the things I've alluded to. We will need to develop a smarter classroom with regard to being able to bring kids back 
into sort of the average curriculum. It's going to be a challenge and it's going to require creativity, a bit of ed tech, and a whole lot of professional development. I'd like us to be part of that, the research that helps us to get kids back on track, irrespective of the challenges they face in their learning. But then I'm also a basic scientist. I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. And I see that we're reaching a point now where we're really beginning, through our partnership and our research projects, we're beginning to see that the ability to use dynamic understanding of cognitive neuroscience of how the brain learns is really beginning to suggest insights into how to shape the educational experience in new ways. And I'm, I'm very excited about some of the discoveries and the opportunities for continuing the sort of in-school partnerships between the, the basic sciences and the educational sciences together. And so I, I, I'm, you know, I, I have a, a big agenda as a sort of certified pocket protector wearing scientist of things that I'd love to see. But as a citizen of the world and as a, a member of this UNESCO project in particular, I want to see us able to provide better tools to get kids back on track after this unprecedented breakdown. And, and again, just one last quick point on this, even if COVID goes away, and it will, you know, eventually, the issues that are happening around the world with climate change and, and climate crisis are always putting education at risk. And we need to pay attention to it. And families and, and stakeholders need to uh, have a strong voice in looking not just within our own borders to help children who are vulnerable, but to do it globally. I appreciate all the expertise that you've provided for me and for the podcast listeners. I'm just so inspired by your commitment to social justice and your commitment to really at a global scale. I retract my statement about having you on the podcast again. I think we just need a full year-long documentary or docu-series about your work. I mean, there's so much that you've unpacked in a half hour and I look forward to just learning from you. Thank you, Danielle. And I appreciate what you're doing. I think this is, it's a wonderful opportunity to share what's going on. And let me, and let's remind people that all the hard work that we've done together to put, you know, to get the online resource library and all the other materials, let's let people know that that's there for them. It's obviously free. Please go to Winward website, AIM website, Haskins website, uh, especially to the global literacy site. Uh, I'm very bad with computers, but you know what I'm saying, folks. Uh, go there and, and get access to this information. We've taken the people we respect most around the world and we've listened to their advice and tried to make it systematically organized. So please, you know, avail yourselves of that. We're not out of the woods yet. And uh, Danielle, many thanks to you guys for all your hard work on this. Thank you, Dr. Pugh. And yes, we will definitely add those resources to the resource page. Again, I look forward to speaking to you, even more learning from you. Thank you for your incredible work on this social justice front during this crisis around the world. Wow, I am still buzzing from that conversation with Dr. Pugh. And I was serious about that docu-series about Dr. Pugh and his work. I'm talking at all of you filmmakers and documentary enthusiasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Read. To learn more about Read or to access my top bookmarks from the episode, visit readpodcast.org or connect with the Winward Institute at thewinwardschool.org slash WI. I learned so much from Dr. Pugh in these past two episodes. One thing is clear. 
The structures of our education have existed with fundamental inequities and disparities. This pandemic is revealing the long existing fractures in our systems. And we are faced with the pressing obligations to move forward with innovative ways to ensure that all kids receive high quality education. I'm hopeful and eager to learn more from leaders like Dr. Pugh as we work through our current pandemic and address other issues that threaten access to education worldwide. Be sure to follow the Windward Institute on social media as we recognize Dyslexia Awareness Month. Join our campaign, hashtag Disrupt for Dyslexia, to advocate for children and adults with dyslexia around the world. Now, before I close, I wanted to share a quick story and an important announcement. So when I was a teacher, I would always have one final important announcement as my students were scurrying out the door. And it was always the most important words of the day. Yes, I'm speaking to all of you, my former eighth grade students, my triple L's or lifelong learners. Okay, so before I go back on my eighth grade teacher soapbox, here's the announcement for all read listeners. The Windward Institute and the Windward School will be hosting Dr. Rachel Bussman, who's the Senior Director of Anxiety Disorder Center at Child Mind Institute for the 2020 Community Lecture. Dr. Bussman was also a guest on the podcast in April. The lecture will be free and live streamed on Thursday, October 22nd at 7.30 p.m. To register, you can visit thewindwardschool.org lecture. Until next time, readers.